not everyone would uh, notice this on, on a conscious level at least, but Glenn and I, every week, we try to pick songs that would at least sort of point to the, the theme of that week's message. We had quite a conversation about uh, worship songs and um, trying to find uh, worship songs about lust. It's harder than you think, guys. It's uh, people are not writing worship songs about that subject. Um, so if there's any songwriters out there who would like to take up the challenge, uh, as long as you can keep it PG-13. Um, years ago, there was a well-known Christian author and a pastor, uh, and he was being interviewed, I think it was on the radio, and the discussion sort of turned to sins or behaviors that would destroy one's ministry. And the pastor said something like, you know, I don't know what that thing is for me, but I can tell you what it won't be. Um, it won't be sexual sin. It won't be an affair. And for those of you who maybe recognize this story, you know who this person is, you know how it ends. Maybe those of you who don't recognize the story can kind of guess how it ends. It was indeed an affair that ended his ministry. And, and um, there's a, actually a much happier ending to that story, one of um, repentance and, and counseling and restoration. Of course, it took years of embarrassment. Uh, and so maybe there, the lesson in there is, there but for the grace of God go I. Who among us can say that we are not susceptible to sexual temptation. The Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is the most famous single message that Jesus ever gave, and in, in many ways is the crystallization of, of his teaching in general, just loaded with cultural landmines and unpopular opinions and some really sensitive issues. And that's why we've got this series. What if Jesus was serious because so much of it feels radical. And for years, preacher, preachers have, have um, it seemed, tried to water it down, tame it. Uh, he doesn't really mean to turn the other cheek, does he? I mean, you're going to run out of cheeks after a while. Uh, yeah, sure, it's fine to be meek, but we, I mean, we know the, that really it's, it's political successful, powerful people who will inherit the earth, right? So let's, let's put our effort into that. No, what if Jesus was serious? And now we come to a really personal issue, maybe the most personal issue of all. It's the issue of sexuality. And this stuff is like nobody's business. Or is it? And before I read what, what Jesus had to say about it, let me just kind of remind you what we already talked about over the last couple of weeks about the perniciousness of the law, the bondage of legalism, you know, righteousness or being right in God's eyes, in the Pharisees' eyes at least, was all about what you do. And Jesus says, actually, it's about who you are. Pharisees said, do not murder. Okay, check. Easy peasy. Done. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, um, can we have a conversation about your anger? Because it kind of seems deep within your heart. Ugh. 
That's different. I can't hide my anger. Uh, and Jesus says, um, I don't really care about the outside of this cup, which is all clean and shiny. It's really more the inside of this cup that I'm worried about. Your heart, your attitude, your mind, your inner world. It's filthy. He totally upends like he does with a lot of subjects in this sermon, what real righteousness is. It's, it's inside out. I learned a new a word this week, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. I should have, I should have checked on one of those YouTube pronunciation videos. Kazustri. Oh man, I really should have looked it up. Kazustri. Kazustri. Is it on the screen, Glenn? Kazooistry. Thank you, brother. Kazooistry. What does that mean? It means to avoid a principle by looking for loopholes. To miss the spirit of something by looking for loopholes. You know, those who live by the Ten Commandments without the Holy Spirit are always looking for loopholes to enable them to feel that they're above sin. Uh, as we've said almost every week so far, life in the spirit is such a higher standard than the law. Actually, Pharisees don't get that. A lot of Christians don't get that. In fact, um, their legalism can actually cover up a lot of bad behavior, which is ironic when you think about it. These are the same people who added 1500 extra rules to the old Testament. Um, but they also knew how to find these loopholes to avoid the principles of the Old Testament law regarding sexual sin. Now, so uh, before we get to the text, what is adultery? Adultery by the definition of the Oxford Dictionary is the act of being unfaithful to one's wife or husband by voluntarily having sexual intercourse with someone else. That, that would be the strict definition. But there were those looking for loopholes right? All that mattered to them was that if you were married, you didn't commit the physical act of adultery. Okay. That was it. Follow that airtight rule to the letter and you're good, which means premarital sex, emotional affairs, flirting, fooling around, whatever the version of sexting was 2000 years ago, scroll porn. I don't know. Lust, all of that went unchecked because all that matters would, was keeping the letter of the law. And here's how he begins this section. If you want to read along with me, Matthew five, 27 to 28, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus begins by saying, yeah, you're right about adultery. It's bad, but you can't stop there. Let's talk about the lust that's behind it. The lust that drives someone into adultery. I mean, you're kind of patting yourself on the back for keeping that one specific sexual rule, but you're forgetting that God knows your heart and you ain't fooling anybody. The physical act of adultery is not the beginning of the sin of adultery. 
The physical act of adultery is not the beginning of the sin of adultery. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not talking about a passing glance. He's not even talking about appreciating the fact that someone is, is attractive. We are sexual beings created in the image of God. We, we are going to find people attractive. Again, he's not talking about temptation even. There's a difference between temptation and sin, according to James 1, 3, for instance. It's not a sin to be tempted. There is, though, I think we'd all agree, a look of lust, a look that involves uh, objectifying, fantasizing, obsessing, uh, intentionally feeding a persistent thought, right? In fact, I, I think we have to reckon with the idea that lust is a choice. It is something we intend. And if we choose it frequently enough, it can become a compulsive response that bypasses our conscious will, right? But it didn't begin that way. And so this is where sexual sin begins. Something takes place in the heart and the mind that is almost as real, almost as decisive, that it's, it's as though you've already gone to bed with somebody. And again, Jesus doesn't condemn sexual desires, even when those desires are provoked by unwelcome temptations. And Jesus, unlike a lot of other Christians, doesn't throw women under the bus for how they dress or blame the culture or some other external force. You know, he's putting the ownership on us, the individual. It begins in the mind. It begins in the heart. But according to the Pharisees, no sin is committed in your, in your lust. And yet clearly people like David had committed adultery in his heart on a roof long before he ordered Bathsheba to come over to his palace before it turned into physical adultery. Now, please don't get all trippy on me and say, well, if the thought and the act are the same, I might as well just go forward and engage in the act and have some fun. No, no, come on. Loopholes right? The act brings different consequences that can't be undone. We're talking grief, shame, division, pregnancy, divorce. But Jesus is saying the thought is the first part of the act. It's not innocent. It's not to be made light of. You humbly admit that the thought leads to actions. And so this is the point in the process where it needs to be resisted here, here in the thought life at the heart level, the act itself is the culmination of a infection that was somehow allowed to spread in your soul. Things like adultery don't just happen. They begin. Okay. We're in bed with someone mentally and emotionally before we are in bed with them physically. Because sexual sin is more than just the act of intercourse. I need to say this though, um, because Christians get a bad rap for being uh, Puritans or no fun. 
Um, I'm trying to put the fun back into fundamentalism here, folks. God made sex fun. Sex was not born in Hollywood. Sex was born at the throne of grace. God gifted us sex, but sexual activity is legitimized only by marriage. So let's keep reading because Jesus then gives some wild advice about how to live this way. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Um, Origen, Oregon, Origen, a Greek father in the early church. Uh, he took this passage literally and had himself castrated. I hear he immediately regretted it. There's a true story of a woman in Wales who cut off her hand. She was afraid of going to hell. Look, I, I'm the whole sermon series is called what if Jesus was serious and he is serious, but he's clearly using hyperbole here. Um, I think we can be nuanced enough, intelligent enough to take Jesus seriously, but recognize when there's a poetic device, right? Is committing adultery in the heart going to be punished uh, by us going to hell? If so, we're all going to hell. <laughs> How can any of us be saved? Jesus isn't talking about actually gouging out our eyes or cutting off our hands. That wouldn't even help uh, because sexual sin is a heart issue, not a hand or an eye issue. But at the same time, I don't want to diminish the seriousness of what Jesus is saying either, because the spirit of what Jesus is saying is, is equally radical that whatever is inhibiting our purity, our communion with God, whatever is grieving the spirit in us, it should be dealt with radically. Okay. Whatever is feeding our thought life, feeding our imagination, causing us to engage in that first step of lust. Um, it, it's got to be dealt with severely, swiftly, dramatically. It's not worth it. The stakes are too high. You need to deal with it. I, I think the, the late great uh, Dallas Willard has, has the best quote about this verse. And let me just read it to you. He says, in the Pharisees view, the law could be satisfied and thus goodness attained. If you avoid sinning, you could avoid sinning. If you simply eliminated the bodily parts that made sinful actions possible, then you would roll into heaven, a mutilated stump. The mutilated stump could still have a wicked heart. The deeper question always concerns who you are, not what you did to do or can do. What would you do if you could? Eliminating bodily parts will not change that. In other words, if our hearts are truly transformed, that transformation will be manifested in, in new behaviors. 
righteous behaviors, a transformed heart, a, a renewed mind. It transforms both our intent and our actions. So let's, let's get real specific here. Jesus talks about our eyes causing us to sin. Let me ask you, um, what are you looking at that is causing you to engage in sexual sin within your heart? It's setting you up to act it out in life. You know, you know, don't play games. Every month, porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. More than one out of every three internet downloads are porn-related. Globally, porn is estimated to be a $97 billion industry. In 2016 alone, more than 4.6 billion hours were consumed on the world's largest porn site. That's just one site, 4.6 billion hours. And that one site outranks the likes of MSN and Netflix. Right now, almost seven out of every 10 young people ages 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography weekly, if not more. Do you know what it's doing to you? Please don't tell me nothing, okay? Because I'll tell you pastorally that you're full of it. Um, it's not intellectually honest. That's not spiritually honest. You know what it's doing to you. Studies certainly know what it's doing to you. It's leading you to sexualize every person, every relationship. It's undermining whatever relationship you're currently in. And, and please don't tell me that it's helping your married life, okay? That is beyond bogus. And if you're using that line on your spouse, then shame on you. In fact, it's been proven that it undermines it. People who admit to having extramarital affairs are over 300% more likely to have consumed porn than those who have never had an affair. Porn contributes to affairs. It's not even up for debate. And I can't tell you how many times this comes up in pastoral counseling, um, especially regarding divorce. So many divorces happen because an affair is revealed, whether in the present or in the past, or emotional affairs surface, or an, an attraction develops, something online. There's some version of unfaithfulness. And Jesus says, gouge it out at the start, okay? Deal with it immediately and decisively. Don't let your eyes do that to you. Do whatever it takes to cut it off. So how do you do that? I'm, uh, I'm not sure there's one answer. I suspect whatever it is for you, you ain't going to like it. It might even feel like you're gouging out an eye. Maybe you become accountability partners with someone else through software um, so that any sketchy site that you come across gets reported to them immediately. I mean, that'll clean up things fast. There's, there's covenant eyes, triple uh, X church. There's a lot of good ones out there. Many of them are free. Maybe you got to move the computer to a common area, uh, cut off the internet between certain hours. Maybe uh, you have to end 
a toxic relationship where you're continually being tempted. Um, I'm just, you know, scratching the surface of ideas here. Whatever it is for you, gouge it out. It'll hurt, but it ain't worth your soul. So Jesus talks about the eyes, the things we see, and then there are the hands, the things you do. And let's get specific here too. Are you a flirt? If I were to ask your friends or your coworkers, what would they say? Do you dress to be attractive or to attract? And this is a question for men and women, by the way. Do you try to maneuver circumstances so that you can be alone with someone of the opposite sex? Um, how do you handle yourself when you're on a travel or business trip with someone? Um, what about those long lunches or, or after dinner or after work drinks, staying late at the office, working on a project? Are you talking negatively about your spouse with someone of the opposite sex outside of a, you know, a professional setting like a, a counselor or a pastor? Is there an online relationship that you'd be ashamed if your spouse found out about? Is there anything there? Um, maybe something I haven't mentioned that God is just revealing to your conscience right now. Whatever it is, cut it off. Cut it off. It isn't worth your soul. You know, in some ways, I, I wish it was as easy as, as cutting off your hand. I can learn to throw left. Like, um, It'll be over and done with at least, but Jesus is asking something even deeper, something that is continual. It's called sanctification. I'll bet there's some of you listening today who would almost rather be blind than to live with the pain that you now feel because you fell morally. You'd be the first to say like, it wasn't worth it. So ruthlessly evaluate your life in view of that glorious day of judgment. Um, now, let me just, this is the last thing I want to talk about this morning, but I, I just want to peel back the curtain a bit of sermon planning. This next part on divorce, I assumed was a new topic. You know, I was saving it for next week. And I blame the NIV Bible in part for that because it makes these editorial decisions to sort of split up passages and give it a new heading. But I realized in studying these verses, it's really more of a continuation of Jesus talking about adultery. Jesus hasn't changed the subject, even if the NIV has. Jesus is using marriage and divorce as illustrations of how people lust of why they commit adultery. And again, he's talking to this loophole crowd, okay? Men in particular, who at the time held all the cards in terms of rights and privileges and were able to divorce their wife for any little thing. It didn't happen the other way around, by the way. Women didn't have those rights and privileges. And since adultery was the one thing you had to avoid, uh, it made it real easy to avoid it by making it really easy to divorce. In other words, um, for them, it was easy to get out of marriage so that you could have sex with anyone you wanted to have sex with to avoid the adultery label. Loopholes. 
Okay. And who do you think paid the highest price for this? Who suffered the most? Yeah. It was all at the expense of women uh, who were treated as second class citizens. You know, as a divorced woman, few, if any men would want to marry them. So often they'd end up as beggars or in prostitution, but they made it so that a man could divorce his wife with just a, a written notice, just kind of a, I don't want to be married anymore. Mwah, done. And that was that. And it could be over anything. You could divorce a woman in Jesus day for a badly cooked meal. Uh, you could divorce a woman in Jesus day simply because you found someone else more attractive. And Jesus totally calls them out on this. It, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a sick certificate of divorce. He's referring to Deuteronomy 24, but Jesus has his own opinion. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a woman so divorced commits adultery. So, not only are you violating the spirit of the law with your unchecked lust, but you're deeply violating the sanctity of marriage, God's original plan for marriage. Do you, do you realize how serious this is? Jesus is asking. Do you realize the consequences of your lust when you divorce your wife for any and every little thing and throw her into trying to find another marriage? You're causing her to commit adultery. And when you remarry, you're committing adultery because you never should have been divorced in the first place. You may have some legal certificate in your hand, but it's not legitimate in God's sight. Okay. He didn't sign it. It was so hypocritical of these loophole people. Yes. Everybody agreed that adultery was a bad thing, but these loophole Pharisees were like, yeah, but if you're widowed or divorced or unmarried, you can pretty much do what you want. And even if you are married, you can engage in sexual fantasies and sexual activities as long as it, you know, doesn't go all the way because that's all that matters. Right. And Jesus jumped into all that and said, stop it. You're, it's insane. You're making a mockery of this gift of sexual intimacy. You've missed the heart of God in all of this. What? is destructive to your soul is not adultery just in the technical sense, but adultery in the fullest sense. Okay. Jesus says, listen, anything outside of the marriage covenant and commitment between a man and a woman, not only violates the, the sanctity of marriage as the place for sexual expression and fulfillment, but it'll violate you. Um, It'll violate your relationship with God. And uh, I know many of you have, have made up your mind on the subject of divorce and you don't want to delve into it for any nuance or gray area. I know some of you probably take the hard line on this where there's just in, inflexibility where there's no biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage. Okay. None end of story. And, and maybe some take the hard line because they're afraid. Maybe they want to be seen as spiritual. 
I don't mean to be unfair, but some take the hard line because they haven't had to face the problem very closely. Um, Sometimes others, like the Pharisees, are just looking for loopholes. They don't understand the covenant, the sacrament of marriage. And sometimes people with long marriages can, can treat the subject kind of legalistically. They're like, you know, we had to endure each other for so long, so everybody should have to. <laughs> and uh, I, I, it's funny, I'm in this online pastors group. Uh, it's called Church Renewal. And um, this pastor uh, told a story, because we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, actually. And uh, somebody online talked about his pastor who, who memorized the Sermon on the Mount, like I'm trying to do and like some of you are trying to do. How's that going, by the way? Um, and so at the end of his series, he got up and he quoted uh, from memory the whole Sermon on the Mount. He preached the Sermon on the Mount from memory. And afterwards, uh, a lady came up to him and said, I liked your message this morning. Um, I don't agree with your part about divorce, though. It's like, it wasn't really his part. It was Jesus's part. But I think Jesus is, is speaking to legalists this morning and to the one also who treats marriage flippantly. Um, his teaching upholds God's ideal that, that marriage was always meant to be monogamous and permanent. Uh, the two are truly to become one, glued together, inseparable, a promise that is kept for a lifetime. So divorce is usually wrong. Wait, did the pastor just say usually? Well, it's actually what Jesus is saying. Sexual intimacy within marriage is so sacred, so profound it's to be protected. It's such spiritually significant that it's violation is enough in God's eyes to end a marriage. No other human activity has the same power of intimacy as, as sexual expression does. So when the marriage is defiled by that oneness being violated through, through sexual activity with someone outside the marriage, you know, it can destroy the fabric of the marriage. And Jesus says divorce is allowed. That's how serious, that's how wonderful and special and sacred sex is and how tied to intimacy and trust it is. If it's violated, Jesus says the marriage is violated. And God never meant uh, a marriage relationship to take that kind of hit. Um, God never meant for someone's heart to sustain those kind of blows, that level of treachery, that degree of sin. Uh, God does not require divorce in those situations, but he allows it. I know of all kinds of marriages that have been healed and stayed together, but Jesus addresses the seriousness of it. Now, if I can just talk to the hardliners for a minute, what about physical abuse? What if you're a father or a mother whose kid is being battered by a spouse? How would you feel? Suppose your grandchild is being smacked around. 
Um, what if they spend the family money on gambling, drugs, alcohol? Um, would you say my son-in-law, my daughter um, had a nervous breakdown, but at least they didn't commit adultery? I suspect, <laughs> I suspect you might even wish one of them did commit adultery so that your son or daughter would be set free from that marriage. I know of cases where mental cruelty is so fierce uh, that the agony of adultery would be a piece of cake by comparison. The spouse may not have lusted after another person, but the hell he or she caused would make one wish for adultery. Um, am I to believe that Jesus would say, sorry, but you're you know, stuck in this nightmare until your spouse commits adultery? No, no. I, I, I remember a situation where uh, a woman's spouse um, joined a bike gang and started bringing that illegal activity uh, into their house and among their kids. And her question was, what do I do? And I said, I'll help you rent the van and pack up because you need to get out of there. God hates divorce. You've heard that said, maybe you've heard that sort of berated on you. Malachi 2 says, God hate, hates divorce. And that is true. God's ideal for marriage is forever. But I want you to notice something. God never says he hates divorcees. He hates people who have been divorced. He loves you so much. God hates divorce for the same reasons that you hate divorce. Because of the pain it causes. Because of what it does to children. The tears. The loss. The the financial uh, loss. I mean, surely even an atheist would say divorce is not how things are meant to be. Can a divorce person have another start? Yes and amen. And I, I want you to know Jesus is not lowering the standard, but isn't his graciousness amazing? The man's going to come. I just know that there are people watching today who have been through the pain of divorce. I know there are people today who feel in bondage to their own lust, to their own addiction, uh, to, the, to stuff on the internet that they know they shouldn't be seeing. And I just want you to be set free from that today. So Lord, for the one this morning, who, who has been given messages that uh, their divorce uh, has made them in a second tier of Christianity, somehow unclean. God, would you replace those lies with your truth that um, they are fearfully and wonderfully made children of the King, righteous in your sight because of the blood of Jesus. Lord, for the one today who feels just bound by their thought life, their addictions, it seems they can't go through a couple days without looking up something on their phone that they know 
just will cause them shame, uh, cause them guilt and embarrassment. But it's like almost the the synapses in their brain have have been rewired because of this addiction. Lord, would you set them free today? Set them free, I pray. And may they have the courage to do whatever it takes to gouge out whatever it is in their life. The phone, the computer, that relationship, that accountability that they need, Lord. Ultimately, Lord, we just say, we need you. We need you. We can't do this on our own. We can't sort of will ourselves out of our thoughts, out of our our heart. We need a work of the Holy Spirit to transform our mind, renew our thoughts, change our heart. We need you, Jesus. We need you.